today we're talking about something interesting, something many people like to pretend they're not into or are ashamed to speak of publicly. We're talking about sex. I asked two women to tell me about the first conversations they had with their parents about sex. You know, that moment when you hit puberty and your mom or dad decide to give you the sex talk. Hi, my name is Sam. I'm a light girl scriptwriter and I live in Lagos. Sam's parents never talked to her about sex, periods, or even the reproductive system. Her first crash course on that came from one of her friend's moms. She gathered Sam and a couple of kids in the neighborhood. Then one night, I think my sister's friend got a period. I didn't know what period was then because I was still like four in primary school, primary four or something. And she called us together and started to tell us stuff about periods that now that the person is now seeing a period, she's now um, a woman. Or I don't know, she, she, she referred to her like differently from us, that she was no longer a girl. And if anybody should like touch her in any part of her body, be it her breast, then she brought me forward because I was the smallest. She brought me forward and she was like, if anybody should touch my chest, because I didn't have breasts, if anybody should touch my chest, then I could be pregnant. After that vague conversation, Sam says she never got anything remotely close to the sex talk. Her three sisters didn't either. Hi, my name is Sonia. Um, I'm a growth manager and I live in Lagos. When Sonia was about four years old, her mom gave her the baby version of the sex talk. It was more like, if anybody touches you down there, right, come and tell me. Like, don't let anybody, basically, don't let anybody touch you. And if anybody touches you, come and tell me. When Sonia told me this story for the first time, I felt like, based on her mom's track record of giving her sex education as a child, she would get the contextualized version when she hits puberty. But that didn't happen. Um, so I think in terms of like those kinds of education, like puberty, nobody ever really sat me down and told me things. I just sort of picked them up from watching her. And then, you know, in school, you'd hear your friends because I, I didn't get my period early. I got to when I was like 12 and I had friends that got in there by like nine. So they knew these things already. So in the bathroom, they'd like to say things and you'd pick stuff up. So... Sonia pretty much got the crash course on hitting puberty from her more experienced friends. I asked her if she had theories for why her mom didn't speak to her about sex as an older child. So, um, very Christian family. We spend, I mean, go to church a lot. So there's also that expectation that you're definitely hearing what the pastor is preaching, right? Purity, holiness, all of that jazz. Um, and that should guide you. Read your Bible. So, yeah, that too. Okay, so there was the expectation that the church would arm her with all the information she needed about sex. Sonia's mom was also super swamped at this time in her life. She had a lot going on, so it's possible she didn't prioritize sex education. It's interesting to know that, growing up, a lot of the conversations around sex were cryptic. It's almost as if our parents felt embarrassed to give proper sex education to us. Sex largely felt like a taboo topic, despite the fact that it was clearly happening all around us. I mean, that's how 99.9% .9 of us came to exist. And that's what this episode is about. I guess grew up in an environment where conversations about sex and sexuality were non-existent. Hi, my name is Nanada Akmosichiyama. I'm a feminist activist, 
a communication strategist and a writer. I'm also the author of a book titled The Sex Lives of African Women. And I live in Ghana. Today, Nana writes and openly talks about sex and sexuality, but it took her a long time to get there. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us for being women. If you have not listened to season one, I highly recommend that you do after this episode. It's available on whatever streaming platform you're listening on right now. On today's episode, we learn about Nana's journey to becoming a prominent voice in the fight to make women's sexual pleasure in Ghana a priority. Nana was born and raised in Accra, Ghana's capital city. She's the first of three children, and boy, as a child, she loved to tell stories. I loved the world of drama. I loved the world of books. My mom says, you know, when I was a child, she used to think I'd either be a good writer or a good liar because I used to tell a lot of tall tales. I would be that kid who would go and, you know, take the chocolate from the fridge, eat it all, have chocolate smeared all around my lips. And you ask me, did you eat the chocolate? And I'd be like, me, no, I never saw the chocolate. Growing up, she says she resisted some things that would be considered traditionally feminine. I've always been stubborn. I've always done my own thing. And I think I have always resisted being forced to do the kind of things girls were, you know, told they had to do, like cook. So my mom would be like, why are you not coming to help me in the kitchen? You're going to make someone cast me out one day. And I didn't understand why anybody would cast her out because I wouldn't help her in the kitchen. Obviously, as I grew older, you know, I, I got what she'd be referring to. But that was just who I was as a kid. I was curious to know her thought process to have rejected cooking at such a young age. I didn't realize gender roles were problematic until I was in my early 20s. So I was really interested in finding out how Nana was so self-aware that early in life. I don't think there was a thought process. I think it was just instinctive, right? There were certain things I just did not want to do and I just wasn't interested in. (laughs) And I didn't understand why anybody would try and force me to do it, you know? Okay, so it wasn't a thought process where she knew that these things were rooted in patriarchy. She just didn't want to cook. And honestly, I feel that. Since Nana was a pretty expressive child, I wondered how she dealt with that sex talk from her mom. I feel like we all got some variation of that infamous, if a man touches you, you get pregnant chat. I really didn't get told much um, about sex. All I knew was don't do it. I knew it was a bad thing. I I don't think, it, actually, it wasn't so much that it was a bad thing. It was actually about, you know, if you mess around with guys, you fall pregnant. So that was the thing, right? Like, if you did this thing, you will fall pregnant. And once you fall pregnant, your life will be destroyed. And I felt like I saw it happen in tangible ways because I remember that in school, in the boarding school that I went to, you know, there was this girl who left because she had fallen pregnant. And then she clearly went home, had the baby, and then came back to school. And people were gossiping so much about her that she left again, and I never knew what happened to her. So that always stayed with me, right? Um, Because, like many of us, Nana didn't get proper sex education. There were many things she didn't understand about sex. For example, she didn't know anything about consent and was unaware of the fact that penetrative sex is not the only kind of intercourse one can engage in. Like... 
I now realize I had had sex way before when I thought I had sex because how I understand sex today is not how I always understood sex, right? So I understand sex today to be an act that's consensual, um, an act that gives pleasure, that's between yourself, between, you know, one and more people. It could be two people, it could be multiple people. And with this new understanding that I have of sex, I recognize that I actually had sex as a teenager. I had sex with other girls in my school. I just did not think it was sex. I just did not really think, right? And I feel like that's the main difference between my sex life now and my sex life then. I get what she means. Along with other girls in boarding school at the time, she didn't have the right information about sex or what they were doing. To them, it was just instinctive, action without thought or reflection. We felt like we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing. So if I think of the girls I had sex with in schools, it was always hidden. It was under the covers at night after everybody had gone to bed. It was in really horrible, gothy bathrooms that will turn my stomach now if I even try and remember what those bathrooms looked and felt like, right? Ugh, ew. <laughs> I don't want to know what being in those bathrooms felt like. As a teenager, Nana felt desire. You know how when you hit puberty, your hormones begin to rage and are generally all over the place? I wanted to be touched and I wanted other people to touch me. Um, and I didn't know what to do with that. And I also didn't know, I guess, the difference between what was right and what was wrong. Because I was also sexually abused as a child, you know, and there was, but there was also a part of me, I think, that had enjoyed the attention. But then the greater part of me knew something bad was happening. And that wasn't something I was ever able to unpack. Yeah, things got heavy quickly. However, what struck me about the abuse Nana experienced from her relative was that she didn't fully process what was happening as it occurred because she didn't have the knowledge required to do so. Felt like, no, this shouldn't be happening. Parts of it I didn't like, parts of it felt uncomfortable. Parts of me just wanted my uncle to spend time with me. But him spending time with me was also when the assault would happen, right? We didn't dwell too much on the assault, but now we know that it was part of why, as a child, she didn't understand right from wrong when it came to sex and sex-related matters. Okay, I need to back up a bit here to tell you about something else. Nana's best friend, Malaika. You understand why as the story progresses. So at the age of 16 in 1994, Nana met Malaika. They were both in sixth form college. Like, I don't even remember how we became friends. All I knew is that suddenly we were friends and we're also like, we also had a crew. Like, so she and I were like tight friends, but we also were part of a larger crew of girls. And we literally all used to roll together. Like we all used to like move through the school compound together, go to the dining hall together, eat together, hang out, you know? But, you know, she was partly African-American and Ghanaian. And I just thought she was so bold and she was so brave and she was so funny and she could dance. And, you know, I just thought she was so much cooler than I could ever be. And I just, like, enjoyed spending time with her. I had no idea that she had kind of been like, yes, you are going to be my friend, you know? Yeah, it just felt to me like we just naturally gravitated towards each other. At that young age, Nana knew she wanted to be a storyteller. And Malaika supported her. 
They both harbored dreams of what they wanted to achieve when they got older. And now, 27 years later, they are working together to crush those dreams. We said we wanted to establish a communications agency, um, which we were going to call Masi, which was her name is Malaika and my house name is Sisi. And we actually have a communications company today. So yeah, at the age of 16, I knew what I wanted to be. After this break, we'll talk more about Nana's dreams and the moment she began to read more about sex. I remember a few years back when I couldn't save money to save my life. I was so bad with money that whenever my salary dropped, I would either run to my favorite restaurant or order new outfits off Instagram. And by the second week of the month, I would be so broke. This habit made everyone around me worried. My parents, my friends, even my boyfriend used to say, Babe, you need to start saving. Then one day, my colleague introduced me to PiggyVest and I absolutely fell in love with their piggy bank feature. What I love the most about Piggy Bank is that it's flexible because it allows me save automatically, whether that be daily, weekly, or monthly. By helping me save consistently, Piggy Bank has changed my relationship with money and my life is so, so much better for it. Everyone can save with PiggyVest today. Download the app from Google Play or Apple Store to register and start saving. In 1997, at the age of 19, Nana moved to the UK to study communications and cultural studies at the University of North London. When she got into uni, the knowledge gap she had as a child in relation to gender roles and sex-related matters kind of slowly began to close. Yeah, because as part of my cultural studies degree, I got introduced to black feminist texts. So I read people like Bell Hawks and Alice Walker and I, so I started to re- really reflect on my life and things started to make sense to me. Things that I had instinctively understood or resisted but didn't really know why and have language for. It was like I read these black feminist texts and I was like, aha, uh-huh, oh, okay. You know, so the reason why my mom has to make food for my dad, even though like she's complaining, he's coming home late and she still has to wait to give him his food is because, you know, of patriarchy and the expectations men women are given. So a lot of things started to make sense to me. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so the fact that I was having sex with girls in school, did that mean I was a lesbian? Am I a lesbian now? Am I bisexual? What does this mean? Like, in a sense, it was like lots of light bulbs were being turned on. And I was starting to like question and understand and reflect and say, oh my gosh, actually we're really hypocritical because in Ghana, I was at the boarding school, it was very normal for girls to be hooking up with girls. Why is everybody acting like it's a big deal to be a lesbian today? Surely we were all lesbians in school, right? So it was really just reading feminist books that, yeah, that set off um, a lot for me. I get it. Reading a lot of feminist literature helps Nana interrogate many things about her life and past experiences. It also helps clarify a ton of stuff. It was kind of like a light bulb moment for her. That's when I started to call myself a feminist. Because now that I think about it, right, I think being a feminist is about your action and I guess also your resistance. And so I recognized that me resisting going to the kitchen was like like I was a feminist when I was a child I just didn't know I was a feminist so it was at the age of 19 that I started to recognize and call myself as a feminist here's the interesting thing 
Nana had the moment of realization right. She understood more about sexuality, including what constituted sex. She understood gender roles and had the language for many things that had happened to her as a child. But it still took her many years to feel able to open up. It wasn't until 2009, at the age of 30, long after she had finished school, that she became much more outspoken about sex. I'd moved back to Ghana and I'd actually started a corporate blog for the organization I was working for. Okay, let me not call it a corporate blog because they're not a corporate organization. I started blogging for the feminist organization I was working for. And I really enjoyed blogging. I thought it was an interesting way in which you could communicate and, you know, sort of share stories. And there was a blogging community in Ghana and there used to be monthly meetings. So I'd go to these monthly meetings. Everybody's talking about their blog. Everybody had a personal blog, you know, a blog that they felt really passionate about. And I think I was one of the few people, if not the only person who was actually blogging for an organization and coming to meetings just because I wanted to learn more about blogging. So two of the bloggers said to me like, Nana, why don't you start your personal blog? And I was like, I have nothing to blog about. And then like shortly afterwards, I went on holiday and then you know, we're having these conversations about sex. And I was just like, oh my God, I know what I want to blog about. I want to blog about sex. I want to blog about sex. I want to blog about sex. To be clear, at this point, Nana and her friends had talked about sex freely. She had also experienced sex on her own terms. What seemed to be lacking was just that push to speak publicly and openly about it. Then in 2009, during a vacation with friends, something kind of switched on. So we're like about five. We went to the Western region in Ghana, which is like, I think, one of the most beautiful regions of the country. The sea there is very clean. The beaches are very clean. You know, we're staying in a beach resort, you know, just hanging out in the swimsuits, drinking cocktails all day. It was just really like amazing. And all the women were really open-minded. They were from different African countries. The majority of us were Ghanaian but we were not all Ghanaian, you know, um, and we just ended up talking about sex a lot. And then, so you, having these conversations with these women, what about what they said made you realize, I need to blog about this? Was there, did you find that there was a lack of information about sex or did you just really enjoy their stories? Was there something specific? I think what I liked was the dynamic amongst us, right? I felt like we could all be open and honest. And I felt like nobody was thinking, oh my God, you did this, you're a bad girl, or how could you do this, right? Which was very different to how I'd felt as a teenager when I'd heard stories of other women's sex lives, right? Stories that I had imagined were true until later on I found, like I had stories about my own sex life, which wasn't really happening at the time you know that's when i was like oh oh actually all these stories that people were saying some of these were lies but i know that i as a teenager i was judging other women who had had stories about i was kind of looking at them from my side eye like even with my own foot like oh my god what did she do you know and and so i was just like oh wow like, I'm so glad, like, we're in a different place now, right? I'm so glad that we can just speak honestly and freely to each other and not look at each other from the side thinking, like, oh, my God, you did what? Why did you do that? You're supposed to be a good girl. Like, it felt very free. And I think I liked how how I felt in terms of having those conversations with other women. And it kind of dawned on me, like, these are important conversations to have. I get it. There was no judgment. 
And the conversations were honest and raw. How long after that did you start the blog? Because I see literally I... as soon as I came back, that same month. The holiday was in January 2009. The blog was started in January 2009. Remember her best friend Malaika? Yeah, they started the blog together. And you know, so I came back from holiday. I called her. I was telling her how amazing the holiday was. And I was saying to her, you know what? I want to start a blog about sex. And she was like, oh my goodness, I've been having these conversations with my grandmother and I want to write a book about the sex lives of African, about no, not the, about the adventures of African women. And I want to call it the adventures from the bedrooms of African women. And so I said to her, you know what? So let's do the blog together. And later on, we can turn it into a book. To put it tamely, the blog was a hit. They called it Adventures from the Bedroom of African Women. If you Google the blog, like I'm doing right now, You'll find a variety of stories from multiple women. There's stuff about dating while living with family, LGBTQ love stories, fantastic advice about sex toys, and some other pretty explicit stuff on there. It's crucial to note that when Nana started the blog with Malaika, the stories were mostly her personal experiences. So if I had sex with somebody today, it would be up on the blog tomorrow. You know, um, yeah, it was just a place for me to like, think it was almost like just journaling but i was just journaling in the public forum and, and, and that's kind of how i've always used blogs like for me it's just a way to get my thoughts out there immediately she says the reactions to her stories for the most part were good i feel like from the public it was always very positive actually my mom when i showed her the blog was shocked and she was like oh my god this is porn interpol is going to come and catch you that's literally what she said if you're African, you know that sex is not something many people openly discuss. It would be considered scandalous in many communities to blog about your sex life. But Nana did just that, and people were legit reading and commenting. It was almost as if they wanted to talk about sex and express their sexuality. They just needed an outlet, like her blog, to do so. I think that's entirely accurate. You know, I think people really appreciate spaces where they can have open and frank conversations about sex because... Yeah, there's still too few of those spaces. The adventures from the bedroom of African women resonated with many people. Over the years, it grew from Nana sharing her personal stories to other women writing and sharing on the blog. Some of them were anonymous, and the others chose to share their stories with their names. And what was the moment for you that you realized, oh God, like this blog has blown up? Was, is there like a story for that moment? I mean, I feel like there are many, but the thing that I think the first thing that like still makes me happy to this day was when, you know, Ghana Blogging had an award ceremony and we won best blog and we also won best activist blog. It meant a lot to me, especially that we won best activist blog because I was like, oh, wow, people get that, you know, we're doing this blog as a form of activism. It felt really affirming. The blog was more than just sharing stories about dating and sex. It was also about creating a safe space for women to express themselves. It was about making the sexual pleasure of women a gender equality priority. So people will message me, share their stories with me. I would say, do you want to share your story on the blog? You know, they'll send me stories that I could publish. And eventually, some of those people were sending stories so regularly that I give them their own access to the blog. I give them their own username and passwords. They could log on and publish their stories whenever they wanted. You know, also at a point in time, I created a feminist group here in Ghana called Fab Femme. 
I basically sent an email to all the feminists I knew. I said, you know, do you want to meet up once a month? People started meeting up. I made lots of friends through that. Um, and even though like the group is no longer active, I'm still friends with so many people that I met through the group and they themselves have created new friendships, you know, as a result of, of Fab Fab. Yeah. I think Nana's evolution is quite interesting. She went from not knowing about sex to reading about it and finally writing about it as a trusted authority running an award-winning blog. The icing on this cake, <laughs> she's publicly recognized as a loud advocate for the sexual pleasure of women. Now, if you're where she was growing up, stuck and unable to have conversations openly about sex, or even unsure how to ask questions about your sexual pleasure, don't worry, I've got you. I asked Nana for hacks on gaining confidence to speak and explore these important things. I mean, the thing I would say in general is that oftentimes, you know, the fear that we have is bigger than what will actually happen, even if that fear materialized, number one. And I would also say a lot of the time the fear doesn't materialize, like literally it doesn't materialize, right? So I don't think you should let the fear stop you. I think the fear is there to teach you to be cautious. You know, I think it's to help you think. And I guess what I'd encourage people is to really, if there's something you really want to do, go for it. Just find ways to keep yourself safer and to protect yourself. But don't let the fear stop you because usually that fear will materialize when i was starting my blog i literally thought pastors would be preaching against me in their churches on a sunday not a single pastor has made a sermon about me like nobody cares i find this advice helpful because a lot of the time it's the fear of being judged or what people will say that holds us back from exploring our sexuality from talking about what makes us tick sexually and very often once we find the courage to take that first step Everything else just sort of falls into place. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. When we get back, I'll tell you about Nana's book. Hi, my name is Tonya, ex-9-to-fiver and current bakery owner. I was able to achieve my long life dream of owning a business, all thanks to the target savings feature on Piggyvest. I knew working for another person wouldn't bring me joy, so I started planning my exit. To own a business, I knew I needed capital, a location, equipment, and staff. So I created a personal target plan and started saving weekly. 12 months later, I am happy to say that I am the proud owner of Bell's Bakery. With Piggyvest, there's no dream too big for you to achieve. So please don't stop dreaming. Visit piggyvest.com or download Piggyvest from Google Play or Apple Store and register to start using the target saving option today. Nana started thinking about putting a book together in 2014. And in 2015, I did my first interview with a woman I named Baba in the book. And through the blog, I knew that there were so many more exciting stories about sex and sexuality from an African woman's perspective. But that's not what I saw in media, particularly Western mainstream media, right? What I saw was very limited. I'll kind of always show the African woman as passive, as a victim in one way or the other. She's either a victim of FGM or she's a victim of, you know, like constantly being pregnant. And I knew like we had so much more agency in our lives. We had so much more fun when it came to sex. 
and just like all of these experiences that I thought the wider world needed to know about. And so I thought, you know what? I'll interview an African woman from every country on the continent, clearly an unrealistic goal. Um, but that was my initial thinking and put that in the form of a book. It took Nana five years to put the book together. She didn't rush it. She pretty much just spoke to women when she had the time. In the beginning, I was also doing a lot of interviews face to face. You know, um, I used to travel quite a lot for my work. So whenever I traveled somewhere, I'll just find someone to interview. Or even if I was on holiday, I'll find someone to interview. So that's what I was prioritizing. Yeah. So that was the reason why it took time. Plus, I had a full time job. Plus, so many side hassles, right? So, yeah. After many long years of speaking to women, documenting their stories around sex and sexuality, writing, tweaking, and editing, her book, The Sex Lives of African Women, got published in 2021. It's a collection of diverse essays exploring African women's experiences in relation to sex, sexuality, and their relationships. I think the reception has been really incredible. Um, Some of the things I've heard people say, particularly queer Africans, they've literally said this phrase, I've never felt so seen before. And that means the world to me. That really makes me happy to hear. I also had people say to me that after reading the book, they're questioning their sexuality. You know, they're realizing that, oh, maybe I am not who I had always thought I was, or maybe there's more to explore. I've had lots of people say that they... Yeah, they feel inspired to go on their own journey of self-discovery, to explore more. I've had people say, oh, wow, I didn't know I was missing out so much. Yeah, the feedback has been super interesting. I've read her book, and it's pretty good. I like that it documents a variety of experiences of African women. As you can probably tell by now, that's kind of my whole thing. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with Nana for this episode. It felt like a throwback to my childhood in some way. You know, being unable to openly talk about sex, experiencing a knowledge gap about my sexual pleasure, and so on. It felt like a do-over of sorts. As we wound down our conversation, I asked Nana what we need to do as a society to get to a place where women who had closed childhoods become comfortable expressing themselves. I mean, I think we first of all need to let go of our shame around sex. We need to talk more openly about sex. We need to acknowledge sex as an act that is many things, right? First of all, it always has to be built on a bedrock of enthusiastic consent and that sex is also for pleasure. I think we overly focus on sex for procreation and that takes away the pleasure angle. And I think we should think of sex as If we only had sex for the sheer joy of it, what would it be like? If we only had sex for the sheer joy of it, what would it be like? I really like that. Because as women, it forces us to prioritize our sexual pleasure. To think of the things we like, we want, or crave. A world where women can freely do all this without shame and fear of being judged. Yeah, please, sign me up. I genuinely hope that we're able to unlearn all the shame we've been conditioned to associate with sex. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. I Like Girls is produced by 27 Productions. If you'd like to get in touch with us, visit 27productions.co forward slash I Like Girls. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at I Like Girls Pod. Also, please rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you're listening on. Rating us helps other people to discover the podcast just like you. This episode is produced and written by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Other engineering is by Mo Isu. 
Our editor is Peter Akinusi, and our theme music is by Bangs with a double G. The rest of the music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Piggyverse for sponsoring this episode. I'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>